Hey everybody, Clark Brown with Restoration Advisors, and this is our podcast. It's all about restoration and things associated with that industry. We call it the Disaster Podcaster. Good name, huh? We are in our second season, episode number 10. We're already breezing through this one pretty quick. Today's topic is about superhero technicians. It's a catchy name, I get it, but I wanted to do a semi-deep dive into a model that I feel our industry is incredibly in need of. We're all struggling with staffing. We're all struggling with holding people accountable and finding the right people. I had a company that had incredible level of of technicians and a format and a process that I think everyone will probably say, why haven't we been doing that for years? And I'll tell you why we haven't been doing it for years during the podcast. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Here's our intro. sponsor we have to acknowledge those that support us and we support them it's cocky cocky.io go there and 
see what those guys are up to. If you have equipment, if you have trucks and fleet and people, they have an incredibly smart computer learning AI that is managing the telemetrics of all of that. So it's a really cool program. They're doing some really cool things and they're starting to work with a lot of other people in the industry with some of the softwares they're already using. So um, people often think that they don't need tracking on their equipment, but then they do when they figure out how many pieces they've lost over the years. So there's that. Here's the call-in number up on the screen for just a moment. Please call in 833-262-2410 as I start talking about superhero technicians today. I'm going to be explaining the concept, and uh, you may have questions, and that's where I really want you to call in. Thanks. All our callers are coming. All our viewers are showing back up. Sorry, guys. I kicked you out. Um, so I want to start out with a few topics before I get into the big juicy one of the day. Um, where this came from is I put out a poll last week in um, some of our communities, which was a disaster podcaster page, my personal Facebook, LinkedIn, all of my regular networks, and then our, our own community, which we call Restoration Nation. We all live in this nation called Restoration Nation, and that community is growing and growing and growing. And I put out a poll because I look at our podcast and I look at some of the metrics and the numbers. I try not to look at, you know, whatever, but the engagement. Our industry loves to talk about technical things I you know when I talk about business and things like that I, I just seem to not get a big it's, it's not entertaining to a lot of people I, I, I guess that's just how it's going to be so I put out there two topics uh, and they both came from they both came from one of our groups where someone put up some pictures of some incredible containment I'm talking about in containment walls and encapsulation of a room that was really, really, really awesome. I'm talking next level that most people would say, wow, mine doesn't look like that. So that was one. And then I always see conversations about how do I get my team, my, mostly my technicians, field staff, to really be go-getters, engaged, and care about the customer and what we do and documentation, everything, as much as they need to. And I think the answer lies within some of what we're talking about today. So I put the poll out. Which one of these two subjects do you want to talk about? It was almost unanimously, let's talk about the superhero technician. Let's talk about uh, amazing technicians. Um, there were some votes for the containment in restoration, and I think that's an incredibly good conversation. So we're going to put that later in the season, maybe like 13. So if you're not subscribed to our channel where we stream this live, of course, on YouTube and Disaster Podcaster, but you can always find the recorded version as either a podcast for the sound only on our page, all the links down below, or on our YouTube channel. So make sure you're either calling in or dropping some comments here if you have any questions as I go. So we decided to talk about uh, this topic. It won. It won the championship trophy, and so we're talking about it today. Couple shout outs before we get started. This is my show and I get to shout out. Um, I mentioned Restoration Nation. Again, please join restoration nation.net. Go sign up for it. Link down in the description. Uh, lots of great conversations. It's not on social media, it's our own platform. There are no algorithms, there's no ads, there's none of that stuff. So, uh, so that, uh, 
producer just put that into the chat group here. So check it out. I want to give a shout out to uh, a, a great member of our community. We have hundreds of people, but I seem to know most of them. Cheryl Dukes out of uh, Birmingham, Alabama. She made a post yesterday. I'm going to bring it up on the screen right quick so you guys can see it. I just this is a this is why we did it. I just want to thank my fellow friend and fellow restorer, excuse me, my friend and fellow restorer Chris Tinsley for going above and beyond to help me out. I called him to see where he was renting his attic insulation back from because our Sunbelt can't ever provide a working one. Oops, sorry about that Sunbelt. Maybe they need to work on that. And he told me that he had just purchased one for the same reason. He let me borrow it and refused payment. These are competitors, by the way. Well, they're not competitors. They're peers in the same community. A brand new machine that works fantastic. My techs were ecstatic. We aren't competitors. We are industry professionals and support each other. I love this industry. This post went on and on and on. There were dozens of comments, and everybody said, hoorah, hell yeah, that's what this is all about. And it really, really is. Um, it's kind of what we formed with these communities for. It's why I formed the Alliance of Independent Restorers. Both of them are invited to, and I believe attending our Southeastern Regional, which is starts on Friday, a uh, chapter meeting. So everybody's meeting at REITs in South Atlanta on Friday. That's either from Florida, Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, and I think even Louisiana, which Louisiana might kind of become part of the, uh, the Texas area because it's so much closer. But I digress. So thank you, Cheryl, for starting such a good thing and reminding all of us what this is all about. That's really, that's really cool. I want to give another shout-out to another restore, uh, Bodie Wallace. I don't know if Bodie is listening. He was going to chime in. Bodie is in Virginia, not very far from us. Uh, we know Bodie well. We've uh, been friends since he kind of entered this industry a couple of years ago. He's been following the path building his company, you know, bumping the roads, successes, more bumps, just like everybody else, and recently picked up a really, really, really great guy to work with him, and I think it's something he can really build the company around. Well, he got a, he got a call this week for a project that in the beginning, it was commercial, uh, a res, uh, retirement community home, and uh, it ended up being much bigger because it was uh, mold and covered up a lot of stuff. It's big. It's, it's a couple floors. Again, I teach these classes with Tom McGuire called Large Loss Mastery, and the topic that always comes up is somebody says, well, I don't really do large losses. Large loss means larger than the ones you normally do because when you double the size of a job you have to handle, there's new complexities, and uh, Bodie is putting together a plan. He's already got the IH. He's kind of covering all the environmental stuff, getting all his ducks in a row, advising the client. It's going phenomenally. I'm super proud. This could really, really be a pivotal point for Bodie, and he's reached out to several people in air for this community, this region that's in his chapter, for some references on some things, and this is where the power of it comes in. So, uh can't tell you how much it means to don't make your competitors enemies. Have them be your allies. So, any questions so far? Nope. Cool. Okay. All right. This topic today, I just called it superhero technician. So, a little back, a little backstory here. Um, 
I managed a really large company for a while uh, after I left the commercial world, and this was a company that did residential. Uh, they actually happen to have multiple services in their company, plumbing, HVAC, electrical, and then restoration remediation. Um, their business model, because it matched the rest of how their company did it, was they had service technicians. When we use the term technician in this industry or any, it should match up with what most people do, which means when you have a service tech come to your place from HVAC, the person that comes out can diagnose, price, give you options if there are options, identify what you need, sell the system to you, and I did convince you that this is what you need based on what you asked for, and then install it or service, whichever one it is, and, and make sure that they're doing it right, communicating with the customer the whole way, and then finishing the job. We did that with restoration too. So what we had was we had a team of, I'd say approximately, this was like over five offices, six offices. We had about 28 trucks on the road. This company was large, by the way. It's very, very large. But we had 28 to 30, depending on whatever trucks on the road. These were the high-top sprinter vans. I'm just kind of giving you some specifics. Uh, they were loaded. Uh, the technicians, the lead techs, were assigned a truck and assigned the equipment. They literally were accountable for the equipment, supplies, and management of that truck. We had a fleet department that kept up with that truck, but uh, it was all tracked, of course. I uh, wish we had cocky at that time, but our trucks and our equipment were all tracked. Um, our technicians were the end-all, be-all at the company. Um, we had lead techs, and then the lead techs could hire helpers. So the concept was a lead would come across, a, 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 an opportunity we had, uh, out of that whole big organization that we had there for our division, 28 techs, you know, probably 20, 25 of them or so were uh, leads. Um, we had two dispatchers, sometimes one, but sometimes two, depending on how busy we were. And then we had a couple of managers that managed the region, which was usually around 10 or 12 of the lead techs or an office or two. That's it. So a, a lead would come in and would, using our own software, we did not use uh, anything that's in the industry now. They've actually moved now to something even better. Um, we didn't use uh, the common ones for restoration. They used what the whole company used because it was important because we were getting our leads from our other departments. We had to look at their notes and their pictures and what they did to understand what we were walking into if it was a plumbing issue or an HVAC department. We could see their service history. We could see everything about the customer how long they've been a customer with the company, how much they've spent, uh, everything. Lead tech would be assigned this. Then they may have been on another project. They would get an assignment, call the customer, arrange an appointment to come to do an inspection, and then lock that on their calendar. They couldn't be double booked because they were controlling their own calendar. These were, these were almost like self-employed uh, employees. They weren't. They worked for the company. They were 100% commission. I'll talk about that in just a minute. They would respond to the customer, set up an appointment. If it's urgent, needed to go right now, they would work around that if they were already on a job. You know, the dispatcher would know that if they couldn't leave where they were at, but it might have been for later. And this was water and mold primarily. We didn't do a lot of fire. We did some because our, our company didn't send leads that way. They would go meet the customer. By the way, we had a string, a long chain of processes, of things that happened long before we ever knew the customer. We had mission, vision, 
core values, standards of service. We did everything with the put the booties on, lay out the mat, call the customer ahead of time. They meet the customer, inspect the problem. If we were the first call, we would call out a plumber to take care of the plumbing problem. Usually we were the second call. Um, figure out a plan of action, put a price, put an estimated amount on that job, get that agreed upon with the customer before we started, do the testing for asbestos, lead, whatever else there might have been there. If it's mold, we got an IH. And then they would manage the job from there on out. When it started, how much they did, if they had some helpers, when the helpers would show up and do the job, all the way to completion, communicating with the customer the whole time. The manager was there, but only to support the techs. The managers did not generally interact with the customers. Looking for any, any questions so far. So you have a tech that would serve the customer. By the way, they had to convince the customer they were the right choice, trust, or a lot of things that went into it. We can talk about it in a few more minutes about their reviews, et cetera, et cetera. This was a real high-level process-driven company that, by the way, now does about $200 million a year. Uh, this department did about 10. Finish the job up, have an agreement with the customer. I'm going to pick up the equipment, and we're going to get a statement of work complete signed. I will have an invoice finished right then, and I will email it to the customer. We did not deal with the insurance company. Sometimes we did. Sometimes, you know, I mean, we did not treat them badly, but they were part of the claim. Uh, but our techs, if they needed to talk with the customer and their insurance company, they would. But our, our techs knew that they were not adjusters. They were not representing the customer on the behalf of their policy. We were doing a service. The customer would then hold their insurance company accountable. We, this is where I learned my onboarding of this. We onboarded the customer to fit into this. We had priced the job, no exactimate. We had our own price list. We priced it up front, had an agreed upon signed contract with a dollar amount so that the customer was accountable and had signed an agreement and a contract for that amount. That's a binding situation. Um, believe it or not, a larger percentage of the time than most people want to agree, we got paid when we picked up the equipment by the customer. These were on the smaller water damages, of course, you know, 5,000, 6,000, 7,000. We did pack outs. We did crawl spaces. We even had a reconstruction team that did a little small reconstruction. Those might be a little bit more, and we had some other options, and we can talk about that. Um, and then they were responsible for collections, get paid. If they didn't get paid then, we offered uh, 21 days of interest-free credit, which meant we will hold on to this invoice for 21 days while they get reimbursed by their insurance company. Um, they would tell the insurance company, I have an invoice in my hand and I have a contract that I've signed. I owe them money. Pay me so I can pay them. And we did. So that was the thing. So for this to happen, I've laid the groundwork. I've spent a couple of minutes on that. I don't see any questions yet. This was how this worked. And it worked really, really well as long as the things I'm about to tell you were in place. So what were the points of things that need to happen for this to be possible because this might sound like omg to some people I mean, like this is this and some people are going to say this is not how you didn't do that clark you're lying i'm not and i'm not lying and i never lied to anyone about this stuff uh it started with the right people i can't express that enough that's really the first thing that you have to think about is you have to hire the right people you have to have a talent acquisition and a good filter for finding people that they will thrive in this type of environment. 
this is not going to be someone who is a wallflower, super shy, gets fumbled up talking to customers. This is a person that you hope that when you, at your home, need someone, comes out polite, attentive, knowledgeable, trustworthy, empathetic, assertive, takes control, and still gives the customer the space to think that they're in control. Hiring the right people. We did not hire the first person that came in. We interviewed very thoroughly, and that's where the manager came in. Sometimes the other technicians would sit in on the, on the hiring and say, I don't want somebody else working with me in my company that's like that. So, hey, Brandy, Brandy Hawthorne saying hello. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you need a mindset shift. Um, what I don't really want to hear on this podcast, if anybody does call in, by the way, I'm going to put the number up. I don't want to hear um, any reasons why this can't be done because it can, because it was. So you got to shift your mind knowing that this exists now. And I think a few other people in this industry do it. I believe Jeremy Newman is uh, with Crown Restoration San Antonio has adopted a model very, very similar to this. Um, you've got to have a training culture, meaning you've got to have it's, – it's constant training. Uh, it's training about new things, and it's retraining about old standards. And then sometimes it's sales training, time management training, uh, just, just organizational skills training, soft skills. Because these were people that – they didn't have managers that were managing their projects from. They weren't just following orders. They were in charge of their projects. So we had to support them. So our managers that I hired – had to be top-notch, and they made good money. They got paid very, very well because of the structure that I'm going to talk about in a minute. Um, this requires everyone in the division to have extreme ownership. If you know me and if you know Toby, you've heard us talk about the concept of extreme ownership by Jocko. It's, it's full accountability. I'm responsible if my job doesn't go well for the things that I can control, the, the, the technician, the lead tech, or the manager. If my team fails, the manager would say it's my fault. It's not their fault. If the technician let the customer down, they didn't blame anybody else. It was their fault. If they could not live by and abide by those, um, they didn't work there. And they could go work somewhere else and make less money. That didn't happen very often. And then, of course, you got to have a real good eye for quality control because when you have this kind of autonomy for a team to let go, to let your team do this kind of stuff, which is probably the biggest objection I'm going to hear from people. And, and when I do, I, tell, I teach people this model all the time. I don't know that I could just let go that much and do it. Um, you have to. You have to let go and delegate to elevate. So you've got to have the mindset for that, but you've got to have quality control in place. You've got to know how to – we had secret shopper situations we did. We had, you know, the manager would pop in, check on people. Obviously, the complaints, if we weren't getting collected, you know, if they didn't do their documentation right and they couldn't get the customer to get reimbursed, uh, it became a problem. Those little marks would go against the the technician. So a couple of things there. Uh, just looking to make sure I don't have any any business over here that I need to tend to. Anybody comments? Nope. Uh, next, I want to talk about, again, those were the points you need, the requirements. You need to have a good plan for training. We split our training twice a week, once on technical things, whether it be containment, drying, cleaning, mold remediation, new products, usage of equipment, changing filters. Those were either something that we just constantly worked on or it came from a failure or something that happened throughout the week at one of our offices, and it was a universal training session. And then the other was sales training, 
not showing them how to s- oversell something, but selling is convincing the customer that you have a solution to their problem. Identifying personality types with customers, figuring out, you know, customer has a need. They call us out. They took time out of their schedule to put us on their schedule, and we showed up. There's no reason to leave without locking that job down and helping them with that need because otherwise you're just going to keep calling until someone else convinces them. So we worked on that. We worked on personalities, time management, on and on and on. It was an ever, ever, ever training situation, and the technicians became superstars. They made more money as they did more work. It's really cool. Um, you got to have a lot of leads. This obviously is far easier when you have an abundance of leads, but what this created was the managers could market. And we marketed internally with our own plumbers and our own HVAC guys. Give us your work, give us your work, and also externally. They weren't on jobs so they could go out and sell work to feed their guys and gals. We had females technicians that were incredible. That's how it is. And that's how you should be as the owner in your company. You should not be managing jobs. You hire people to manage the jobs. You go manage the business and help generate more fuel for the fuel tank. Make sense? Um, you got to have tight, tight, tight contracts. You got to get your contract process down. You're going to be invoicing customers. You've got to have, uh, and even if you don't follow this model, you should have tight contracts. You need to invoice your customer the right way with the contract that's in coordination and agreement with how you're doing it, or the customer feels, compe- you know, they, they know they're obligated. If you're doing the work, agree to it. You haven't breached the contract, they're going to pay you. Um, a real process around estimating scoping. scoping. We t- had to teach uh, technicians, lead techs, who, by the way, had worked for any number of franchises or independents before. We taught them to scope and estimate. They already knew how to scope a job. They just didn't know they did. They know what to do and how to get a job started and how to progress it through. We just had to help them through, and then we gave them the tools to put a price on that. They did. Sometimes they fumbled. Sometimes they missed a number. It corrected itself. Communication with the customer. Customer understood was clear on our unit costs. Sometimes they didn't make as much money, but they learned the next time they did. That was the beauty of it. When you put the money, the profit, in front of your lead technician and feel that, make them feel like they're worth it, they're going to drive for it. They're going dr- to they're gonna, they're gonna grind to make it. And I want you to realize that's what this does. It get, puts them in a driver's seat where they can control their own future. So you've got to have some really good stuff around estimating scoping. But you've got to watch the sales side, too. Don't sell. Educate. Find solutions. Customer service was super, super, super important. So, again, don't sc- if you have a customer, our guys knew if you had a customer that was super f- stressed out, they took a little bit longer to work with. Okay? Or they had to try some different tactics or some different approaches. Uh, and not all, by the way, our dispatcher and managers knew that if we had a customer of a certain personality type, that they had to kind of identify the right tech to send there. Don't send a personality type that's not patient, not good with someone else or whatever, and then send them to a place where that person needs a person like them. It was that thought out, and it created success. Um, and then just having lots of processes. Restocking your truck, getting equipment repaired and switched out, uh, Managing the schedules for the guys and gals, uh, you know, dispatcher was definitely saying, taking their messages. So they would say, hey, put me down for monitoring for the next two days at this time, but I've got to be across town. 
So there's a lot of processes in place that we had to teach our dispatcher. Uh, we didn't call them dispatcher, but that's where they really were in the in the conversation we're having here, so you'll understand. Um, and then the managers were managing that, but we had processes. We uh, lots of how we paid everyone. We had to keep up with the payroll hours, keep compliant with OSHA, lots and lots of that. It was a lot to do, but everybody was making really good money, living their dreams, <laughs> buying houses, new cars, had a great time. Um, so it was really, really great. We have any questions so far? Hope I'm not going too, uh, too fast. I'm trying to paint this picture uh, for everybody. Okay, nothing. Um, this is what you need. Uh, I've already mentioned some things, but this is what you need. If you are interested in this to start to happen for you, if you want to build this or even some hybrid of it, I don't know. Um, you need to have trust. You need to be a trusting person. You need to trust yourself that you can run a company like this. You need to stop thinking the way you've always thought and think about this exists now. This company still does it, and there are others doing it. And plumbers and HVAC companies across the nation grow to hundreds of millions of dollars by doing this. This is how they scale. The reason so many people are stuck small is because they can't let go, and they're doing too much of the stuff. Now, that might be because you don't have the right people. But again, when you peel the onion, then that's where you need to start working on. You need to hire the right people. You need skills to identify and attract people that can do this for you. So you need trust. You need better staff, more engaged people. You need, you need to hire a different caliber of people. But you're going to pay them well. Uh, we certainly had to work on that. We would, we would bring someone that came from a world just like you and I have always done things a certain way. We didn't always hire experience, but sometimes we did. But they had to meet some criteria. They had to be willing to let go of the waste they used to do it. I needed their know-how of the drying, the remediation, the fire cleaning, and things like that. But if they could let go of what they've always done to do what they would need to do, they were good. But we got to have a different caliber of people because they're going to make a lot of money, but it was quick. We did disk assessments. We did personality assessments. The hiring process wasn't super, super easy, and uh, it worked. It, it was a drawn-out process, but it was worth it when they got there. Um, and then the part about this is, is your profit will be incredible, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I'll stop right there and tell you a little bit about the pay structure. I don't know if we have any comments or not. Okay. So we had, I'm going with 28. So sometimes we would be busier and we would have 30 to 32 trucks and uh, a lead technician. We had lead tech and we had a helper. We didn't have project managers. They were te technician is a very trained professional that has an excellence at doing something. And that's what they were. They managed a project, but they were technicians. A project manager might not know how to do the work. So we just bundled that together. Uh, they were 100% commission. That's right. And that's where we had to really convince some people uh, when they came aboard was that you're going to be 100% commission. Okay, so we showed them. Now, some people, there, there's a few people that said, I, you know, they were really good. They said, I am not comfortable with commission. I want an hourly. Okay. We agreed upon an hourly rate. And 
They said, we're going to track it both ways, though. We have a leaderboard. We had a really, really nice leaderboard that was digital on the wall of every office to show sales leads, who was ahead weekly. There's a little bit of competition there. By the way, that was the best thing we did. It got people really fired up. But you have a new lead tech that comes aboard first 90 days. We say, all right, we'll try you out for 90 days. You can work hourly. And he, he or she did. And we also kept up with what the commission would have been on running that job our way. They usually didn't make it 35 days before they said, can I switch over <laughs> to to commission because I'm losing a lot of money. But of course, it's what everybody's doing. And that's what everybody had to do after that 90-day probationary period. But we would give everybody you know, a guarantee for a while to get used to it. Because here's the truth. If you got a lead and went to a project and you did not, convince that customer or connect and that customer did not feel trust enough to hire you to help have you do the remediation or the water damage or repair or whatever it was you went home with a zero we called it a donut you left there you spent your time to go there and again everyone had to clock in and clock out because of because of department of labor they had to be paid minimum wage for the time that they were actually working on behalf of the company so if they did not sell enough work, they made at least minimum wage. Nobody wanted to work for minimum wage. And very, very few people ever for very long got there. And I'll talk about that in a minute with some KPIs. We had several, I'd say over five, six of these of our lead techs that made over 100000 a year. I, I won't really tell you... They made a lot. They made a lot of a good percentage point. Some, you know, it was it was a range between, uh, depending on experience, it's several different factors. They started somewhere seventeen, eighteen percent of the job. So let's just go with a ten thousand dollar job. They could make seventeen, eighteen hundred dollars for doing that job. Four days, five days, maybe they could run multiple jobs at a time. As they got their certifications, as they passed different tech levels that we had, and graduated to the next level they could make a little bit more. That's like their seniority bonus. That was their performance bonus too. And, and we would go up with, you know, performance, you know, tenure, attendance. So there's a couple of different things. But it also went backwards sometimes for, um, you know, we would have write-ups and, and stuff like that. But we usually just didn't keep people around that weren't performing. Um, we had figured out that the truck had to, like the bottom level of what the truck had to make, what the goal was for the truck to make, which was not the bottom, by the way. The bottom was don't go below this line um, because we've got to have a talk because we're losing money and we're not in this business to lose money. They're not and we're not. Here's the goal. And then we had KPIs and higher reach goals, stretch goals, to where they would get an extra one to two points at 10000 at, at twelve or 14000 um, So they could make upwards of, and there were some people who made 22% of the job. So now you're talking 2200 they might have, and these guys thought like business people. Um, you know, they get a call at 4.30 for a water damage. They did not go there intending to be there all night because we have to stabilize. We have to do environmental controls. There's some assessments that have to happen. We show up. We make sure the leak is, is stopped if that's the issue. Um, set up containment, build a plan, develop a price, call out an engineer or an IH, or a assessor to check for asbestos or whatever else might have been there. 
and then we would stabilize. We could not start demolition until then. We could pull carpet. We could move some contents. We could do mitigation. But we basically mitigated to the point, if we were later in the afternoon, that we did not keep that customer up all night. The customer wanted to go lay down and get their head in bed. Maybe they needed to get a hotel. They can go do that. We're not there till 2 or 3 in the morning. The technician's already worked all day. He's had another job all day, and this one came in late in the afternoon. He may or may not have been on call, or she or may not may have not been on call, would go out and perform this job. Um, but they wanted to go home to their family, too. Now, people are, they, we did have an on-call rotation. Stuff came in after hours. Somebody had to put their boots back on, get in their truck, and go. Uh, they loved being on call because those were higher-paying jobs. Uh, the bill rate for after hours in our software was higher. And plus, there weren't any tire kickers. These were customers that were ready to spend money and go. So I'm talking through this, going through some details, probably getting deep into it. Um, I'm just wanting to know if I have any questions here. I don't know if Toby, if anybody has called in, 833-262-2410. Let me take this opportunity to tell you, we, we had a couple of these at one time that had a lot of callers. And I want you to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues in this industry. I'm asking the, the, the several people that are watching live. I understand not everyone can do live, but if you catch this recording later as a podcast audio only or with uh, the video version on our YouTube channel at Disaster Podcaster, share that around. We need more people knowing where this is here. Um, not, we don't make money off of this. This is not a profit thing. This is just, we have good information. I would like to see our industry do more of this. I would like to see our industry get away from this mindset that we are insurance repair specialists and that we're actually home service providers and do a service like everybody else does. Treat it more retail, but share this with people. Um, call in. If I had 150 people listening, I bet I would have callers right now. And I think we can get there. We just, we're promoting as best we can, but sometimes it takes help. So if you're willing to help us share this, help us contribute to what the next topics would be. If these topics aren't hitting the spot for some people, they can tell us and let us know, right? Um, Our technicians, again, they got a big job. Think about this. Sometimes you'd get a larger job, like I was talking about Bodie at the beginning of the call get a larger project they would collaborate three or four of them would all team up on this thing and split that job there were several times we had a hundred and fifty thousand dollar big fire job or something like that and they would all bring in uh interesting not everybody had a helper some did and some did not um the helper their money their percentage that they paid the helper came out of their cut um, why would they do that? Why would they give, um, you know, the, the percentages were 7 8%, depending on what they were doing. Why would they cut themselves down that? Because they realized, because we had so many leads and they had so much opportunity, that they could go through jobs a little quicker and that they could also manage multiple jobs at one time and stack their projects and therefore increase their revenue. I told you they thought like business people, and they did. We trained them to think like that. They would measure how many hours they worked. Think about this. If, if we had a lot of people that were at 40 hours a week-ish, uh, making sometimes $2,500, $3,000 in a week if they had a lot of jobs coming in, they start doing the math and they're like, wow, I'm making 150 an hour. I've never made that much in my life. 
this is the way you want people to think that work for you. Now, let's go back to the company side. Let's talk about the house. The, the uh, take a drink here. Knowing every week or month or whatever, what, knowing from when the job was sold, how much was going to be going to the technician, you had your labor figured out. So we had, we had other overhead, which was the manager, divide that up over everything. Every job took a piece of, every job was charged for overhead, what we paid for the building. You know, it was a big company, but the company treated each division like a franchise almost. I paid for the building, for the marketing, the lights, utilities. Um, I had the staff salaries. I had my salary. So I had that. Then I had supplies, maintenance equipment, whatever else, insurance on the trucks, truck payments, blah, blah, blah. But we knew what we were paying for the technician, and we knew what we were paying for the overhead. And the profit left over, the net profit, was very, very healthy, well over 30%. Here's where the accountability comes in. If, let's just say I have a technician named, um, I had some really good ones. Some of them are still friends of mine. Let's say Mario. I just made that name up. Mario worked there. And if he went and, for any reason, that job did not come in as, you know, they he knew them. It was a friend and family. It was a veteran, a widow. Uh, they had limited coverage. They didn't have any money. You know, listen, we, we worked through all that. We offered financing through a third-party company as well. So customers that couldn't pay us out of their pocket would finance, and then their insurance company would reimburse them, and they could pay off that note for that financing. But the technician, if they did work that they could not get paid for, if that customer did not get paid by the insurance company, uh, the tech also absorbed that liability. So we paid our team 70% on payroll of the jobs that they've completed. So if they were still in the middle of a project, it got pushed to the next week. That means don't rush to get it done to try to beat the payroll, but be attentive and try to put the right, run, right number of equipment on that job and get it done on time. It's not three-day drying, by the way. We, we didn't do three-day drying. Um, we would pay them 70% on payroll, and we would hold back 30% until it was collected. Because if we had to change an invoice, and there were mistakes, there were some people, you know, we had lead techs who were just starting to learn how to estimate and scope. They would sometimes put the wrong thing in there or double dip. They would have a square foot for demo, but then they'd put labor hours for demo. Just little things like that. Never really intentional. There were times when they were intentional. Um, we had all the same thing. We had people that were mistrustful, stealing gas. I had moonlighting, people that were moonlighting going to another place doing their own jobs. But, again, we tracked the trucks, caught them, called the police. You know, we handled it the right way. Um, we just, those people didn't fit. But they made good money, and they knew it, and uh, it was fair. Um, I'll just say this business model is phenomenal. Will it work for everyone? Absolutely not. Um, a question comes up when I talk about this model to people and, and I do, if I were to build a restoration company right now, I would, I would do something like this. And I think other people would too. Uh, by the way, no program at all, no program work. Uh, we, we had our price. It was custom to us and it was well over exactimate. We had the same objections, but we knew how to overcome them. And I taught my managers taught the technicians of how to talk through that. 
even with the insurance company on the phone. Insurance company would be on the phone and say, hey, we're sending out a preferred vendor on speakerphone. The customer would say, but I use this company for everything. They take care of my house for my HVAC, my electrical, my plumbing, and now the restoration. Can I use this? Because we already told them, you can use whoever you want to. You can use us. By the way, we have 4,000 reviews. Um, they're like, told the adjuster or whoever's on the phone, I already have somebody here. Why would I have somebody else? Well, if they pay, if you know, you charge, if they charge you more than what we're willing to pay or our preferred vendor will pay, you're going to be, have to pay them the difference. Well, again, we've already told the customer, you better be ready to ask the question. It says, is that what it says in my policy? Can you tell me what page that's on? Tells me where I have to have a fixed price for my contractor? Because it sounds like you're trying to price fix, and I don't think that's legal. We had hundreds of occasions where a customer said that. We're transparent. We're straight in the open about what we're charging. Uh, kind of in line with everybody else. Not crazy. We explained why our equipment cost what it did. They got it. Um, and that turned that that would shut that up really quick. So we had a really good collections process, receivables, and we had customers on our side. If you if anybody knows me, this is why I am so big on uh, on, on on invoicing the customer and onboarding them, and that be your focus because they become your cheerleader, the advocate for themselves, and hold their insurance company as accountable as they do us. I hope that so. Let's start going down the list of what um, uh, can it be done? I get that asked all the time. Can this really be done? It can because I did. Nothing else to say about that. Um, I ask you the question, why won't you? I want to hear anyone, and nobody's calling in. <laughs> I guess it's, I guess they don't want to call in. Uh, I get it. Uh, we, have, we have some people watching, but maybe they're just not in a place where they can. So thank you for watching, though. I really, really appreciate that. And I, I just like feedback because I like to know where to take this and where to go with it. But tell me why this wouldn't work for your company. Okay? I think I have some clues. We obviously hear the, the question a lot about the insurance, blah, blah, blah. It's not, it's not a reason. That's an excuse. It's not a reason. Um, and we're seeing it become harder and harder and harder to remain powerful in ourselves in this industry as contractors. The carrier and the others are controlling the narrative, and we're losing ground because we're not together. They are, but we're not. If we don't start taking ownership of our company and the work that we do, we're going to give it away. If we keep saying, mother, may I, they're going to say, no, you may not, and they're going to keep the power. They're going to keep the money, own the customer, and own the home, and I am not going to let that happen as long as I'm still here in this industry. I want, I'm not saying, I get nothing if you do this. I get nothing. This is just a great model that works. So now that you know, you can't unknow. You can't take that back. We have a model here uh, that can be done. Now, I'm going to ask you for objections. Uh, who's watching? I've got several people watching. Is there anybody here that has... And I, and I don't mean, I'm not looking to argue with anyone. I would like to understand and maybe dispel that objection. I'd like to address it so that we can see if we can't uh, uh, change some minds here. Because I believe that that's how we get to the bottom of things, is having discussions. So who's watching now that has a, a comment or, or even say no comment? <laughs> say, hey, 
It's all good. Or any question about that model. Did I leave anything out? Because, I mean, I did it, and I'm probably skipping some stuff and probably have some gaps and some understanding. Um, certainly don't have enough time on this call to do all of that, but I wanted to have that. Anyone? No? Toby, you have any questions? Toby doesn't either. Shoot, man, I'm good. I'm good. I just killed it. I slayed this podcast. <laughs> um, so that's a superhero technician. Again, I, I, I want to just paint the picture. Customers loved the technicians. Customers connect with those that are at the ground level helping them. When you have someone at the office who they met the first day and they call – they're not really connected to them as much as they are. But the, the young man or woman that came out and helped them in their time of need and connected them on that level and then were there every day and kept doing over and over and over everything they said they would, uh, several of our technicians brought coffee and cookies and cupcakes to their customers. Why? Because they made a lot of money off of that, you know, that job. They had money to do that. I would reimburse people, say, hey, I bought coffee for a couple of customers. Okay, you want to reimburse for it? Throw it on your check. Some of them said, I don't need it. My customer loved it. We actually, they asked us to do more work, and we invoiced them and charged them for it. It's, it was a great model. Um, after every single job, whether every inspection, if we did an assessment inspection and we didn't get the job, the technicians in their truck had a folder, for a, a little slip for every job of things they had to do. They had to leave, you know, pins and paper and magnet for the fridge for all the divisions. We always helped each other out. They did an assessment and walked around, kind of showed them where the water shutoff was. But they would send a thank you card. They had to fill it out while they were in the driveway. And then they would come back to the office and give it to the uh, admin or the uh, dispatcher who would stamp it and send it out. So the customer, sometimes even... You give them an estimate for the work you're going to do. Three days later, they've got two other estimates. And then all of a sudden, they get a thank you card handwritten from the person that came out that didn't just say, by the way, hey, thanks for the opportunity. You know, thanks for letting us come out there. It was like, hey, tell Tony good luck on his soccer match. Go Redskins. Love the begonias in the front yard. Whether or not you hire us, good luck. I hope it works out here if you have any questions. They got calls back. They sold those jobs, and it worked out well. These were empathetic, endearing people. They were the right people. Uh, it really, really worked. So now what? Now that you know, if you want to keep doing what we're doing, let's keep doing it. I don't. I, it's just not a lot of people like, how do I get trained? You know, How do I have a system? How do I have an operating system? Well, here comes the thing. You want to know how to get this done? Call us at Restoration Advisors. Go to restorationadvisors.com, reach out to Toby or myself. We'd be happy to attend a session at your office or a group, a series of sessions to help you begin the construction of a model that looks like this. It doesn't happen overnight. It didn't happen for them, and it wasn't happy for, happen for anyone. But if this is something you want done, we can't teach you how to do it on a podcast. What I can do is tell you, what I did, the framework. Good people are going to understand like how this works, but we can uh, we can really really uh, we can really change this industry, change the, the the conversation with what the public thinks 
of our industry or even at all. I think I'm convinced that most customers don't even know there is a water damage or fire damage remediation specialist. They think it's a handyman or a contractor. Uh, we can get them to quit calling their insurance company and getting preferred vendors out there and start getting your marketing out and you start getting retail work and that they just use you. Um, I have lots and lots and lots to say about that. You could easily start a marketing campaign in your market in your community where that becomes the conversation. So that's a superhero technician. Put on the cape. They were superheroes. Our managers did not stress over that. Now that we had we had issues, like I said, we had theft, we had people not showing up. Uh, customer would call and say, "Hey, Tony was supposed to be here at ten. He's not here." Um, sometimes that was a failure on the dispatcher's part or the tech's part. Um, went to check on some equipment across town and ended up being longer. But they would usually call the customer and say, "Hey, I'm still across town." Um, I'm going to be a little bit late. Is that going to be a problem or should I send someone else out there for the, whatever it is? Because we had people that were floating. Um, or they would ask the dispatcher, hey, can you call Mr. So-and-so and say, I'm in the crawl space. Uh, I've got a, a mask on. I'm right in the middle of something with the customer. Can you call them and let them know I'm running about 30 minutes late? The customer would get a link. When they were on their way, they would see it and follow it like Uber. They would see where they were. So when they said they're 30 minutes away, they really knew they really they were. They were across town on the 495. A lot of trust there, but they managed all that themselves. If they didn't, it was a coaching issue, and we coached. Keep your customers happy, and everything else works out. Keep your customers happy, everything will fall into place. We, we preach that, and it, and it happened that way all the time. Uh, last chance for anyone to call in. I don't know. What time is it? Yeah, it's probably about time to shut the thing down right quick. I hope this delivered um, – I hope this delivered some of that. Um, Toby and I are hitting the road tomorrow. We're heading down to Atlanta to go to the uh, Southeast Regional Air Summit, or not Summit, um, uh, chapter meeting at REITs with Meredith, David, Nick, Jeremy, and Rebecca, and the rest of the team. They're actually hosting it for a day, giving us a room. We've got about 25 or 30 regional contractors coming in. Some are already members, some are not, to see what this thing's all about and see – uh, how they can have like an experience like Cheryl, um, but maybe not even in their backyard. Um, I think people want to be connected to the right people. Um, you know, I, I, I think this industry just needs to finally just admit, and, and if you don't do it with air, do it with something. Get involved with something. Reach out to your – you know, I, I just don't believe that we can continue to do what we've always been doing. I just we have to evolve. We, the world just needs it to change. So as I wrap up, I wanted to tell everybody, and you may not care, but if all goes well, next week when we do our podcast, we're changing our studio up here. We're going to have a new, we're redoing our room, uh, a different look. Uh, I do that every once in a while. We both do. Toby changed his up. I'm going to change mine up. And we have a different setting. So um, it's going to look much, much different for next week. So if there's nothing else, I want to tell you to be well, do your job, do it well. Love on your technicians and your staff. Don't keep people in that aren't needing to be there. Keep the right ones there. Get rid of the wrong ones. The rest of your team will say, what took you so long? Build it up. Build your relationships and do good work. But other than that, Clark Brown, Disaster Podcaster, signing off. And I will see you next Wednesday for another episode. Take care, everyone. <laughs>